Hello, everybody. Welcome to For the Girls and welcome to our 2023 season recap. We cannot believe another season is done and dusted. And we are so excited for this episode. It's one of our favorites all year. So much to go through. We'll be diving into season highlights, lowlights, stats, and of course, going through our listener survey results from all of you. So just first, the biggest thank you to everybody who has listened this season. It's just been so incredible to hear from all of you throughout. But the best part of this episode is that we are joined by none other than Tony Cohen-Brown, otherwise known as F1 Tony. So Tony is a tech and F1 commentator who examines the crossovers with tech, politics, F1, internet culture, so many important things. This year, she co-hosted the F1 podcast, Ready for the Big Time, by the Red Bulletin magazine, which examines the sports Americanization in recent years, which obviously as three Americans, we're super interested in. So definitely give that a listen if you have not already. But Tony, thank you so much for being here. We know you probably need no introduction for most of our listeners, but if you want to just give us a few words briefly of who you are, what you do to start us off, that would be amazing. <laughs> oh my God. Thank you for having me. Um, I don't think I can top that introduction if I'm being honest. Um <laughs> I was just sat there going, oh, that is me. Yes, um, big shoes to fill. And then I was just like, they're your own shoes, woman. So, you know, um, <laughs> we love that. Look at them. Um, yeah, that I've been doing it for three years. I generally, no joke, just fell into this. I've been watching the sport since 1991, but I definitely just fell into like creating content. But I love storytelling. I love being a sponge and I love asking questions, endless, endless questions. So this felt very natural and it's been a heck of a discovery journey for the last three years. Um, but I'm so excited to be here. I don't do many podcasts these days, so this is such a treat, um, especially when I look around and I'm just like, yeah, four women talking about sports and Formula One. This feels right. Yes, it it's does. Incredible. It does feel good. And we're really excited because this is our favorite episode to do. Like we said earlier, our season recap. So I think the best way to start is if everyone just goes around the horn and let's just talk about our season highlights and lowlights. Sarah, we can start with you. Okay. Well, as a red, as the resident Red Bull fan, this was an absolutely <laughs> insane year. I think we've talked so much about this, but I think it's going to be insane looking back at this season, just the level of record shattering that it was. I think it just without question was the most dominant performance by a driver in F1 history. And I think that means a lot for the sport generally, a lot for the fans. And again, just a really consistent theme this season has been needing to retain some of the fans who kind of entered the sport maybe in 2021 post drive to survive like several of us did where 2021 was again in a, in contrast to this season, probably the most thrilling season in maybe a generation in the 21st century. So going from that and all of these new fans being kind of sold that version of formula one to the more traditional formula one that yeah. a lot of the sports history has been marked by these periods of domination, like the 2010s with Mercedes and there's differences between mm -hmm. Max and Checo and Lewis and Nico Rosberg, but it's going back to more kind of that classic F1 domination era, which a lot of the fans just are not used to. So I think that's a big inflection point for the sport because I think fans who are kind of sold one version of F1 need to find storylines and ways to engage and ways to stay interested in the sport. So we always talk about how that can be midfield teams getting really excited about these tight qualities and kind of other components. But I think it requires diving a level deeper into the sport than just being it's a little more hard to be a casual fan if you're just paying attention to who wins and it's always the same person <laughs> yeah. 
Yes, I fully agree with that. I think for me, it was sort of this tale of two cities where you have the most dominant season by a single team and driver, while the rest of the field, I thought, really compressed. Sarah, like you mentioned, the quality spreads were beating records, what felt like every other weekend. If you think about it, literally every team had a competitive season except for Red Bull and Alpine, who was kind of in in no man's land in between the top and, and the bottom. And so two of my favorite storylines were McLaren's comeback. I think that includes the absolute rise of Oscar Piastri, Aston Martin taking us all by surprise in the best way, just sort of at the beginning of the season. And despite not having a huge shift in the regulations this season, it really shows that teams can kind of, for lack of a better phrase, come out of the woodwork and others like Mercedes, who had a decade of dominance, top talent experience Mm -hmm. can really struggle to figure it out. So that makes it just so interesting, I think, across the board. And a couple other highlights, we focus on women and sustainability a lot. On the women's angle, I think even though there's a long way to go, it felt like this year a lot more there was a lot more female focus and attention, whether that be from content creators, team member spotlights, fans, or obviously F1 Academy's inaugural season and, and the various announcements mm-hmm. there. And on the sustainability front, I think the renewed interest of so many manufacturers, Honda, Audi, Ford, Cadillac, GM, like the prospect of having this many power unit OEM providers is is so great for the sport. And I think showcases the importance and relevance of F1 for the broader automotive industry and kind of helps push the sustainability and electrification agenda forward. So that was a big highlight for me this season, just kind of diving deeper into the sustainability world. Um, But Tony, we would love to hear from you. You went to so many GPs. Any favorite or unexpected moments at races this season? Thoughts on the season overall? Um, I have to agree with Sarah on when people are saying, you know, the sport's boring, it's lost, it's, you know, it's lost, it's pizzazz. And I just look at it going, are you, were we watching the same freaking series? <laughs> I am so confused. Like the man is shattering every single record possible and imaginable. That team has built one of the most insane cars. Like I'm confused. And to your point, the midfield battles were absolutely spectacular and kept changing. I remember being at the car launch for the new Aston Martin this year and I remember talking with Matty I think who's Alonso's number one mechanic and he was just he turned around and said to me Tony we've built a fast car and I was like cool, cool. <laughs> and he was like no no you don't get it we've built a fast fast car and I was like great what does that mean and he was just like just stay tuned. Stay and I was tuned, like, yeah. Stay tuned. And we didn't need to stay tuned for a lot until we figured out, are you kidding us? Like the shock podium in that first Bahrain race with Alonso. And I think that moment, that nonstop battle for those last um, those last few laps between Lewis Hamilton and Alonso was just insane, followed by, what was it? I think he ended up getting six, seven, six podiums, Alonso. And I was just like, are you kidding? Okay, I just had his words in my mind constantly and that staring of just like, we've built a fast car, which <laughs> you realize when someone on the team who's actually built the car and I have put hands on the car, you re- and you see that smile, you realize just how much it means to a team similarly in Vegas walking past that garage um the Williams garage as well and seeing the elation of how well yeah. their team had done and they're like this means the absolute world to us and it's just those moments of of course it means the world to the driver but when you see the the teams who are 
spending countless hours on these cars and you see what it means to them. I think those two moments like really do just stick in my mind. And then maybe again, like seeing Lewis Hamilton very briefly back on the podium and he hadn't been on that podium since 2021. So at the end of 2021. So that was exciting to see that, that, that possibility of him coming back. And then honestly, Vegas for me has to be a highlight. I went in very, very low expectations for a myriad of reasons. Um, and, and I know this is a very unique and a very, 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 very privileged position to be in, to be able to say that my highlight was probably the time between FP1 and FP2, because for most fans, that was <laughs> Was just not a good experience at all um but for me being a fly on the wall and witnessing what happens when you basically have to front you know throw out the run of show and the human element of do the drivers sleep are they trying to stay awake are they trying that's to what sleep? we were so curious about some of them just fell asleep some of them just packed it um. out and when i'm just sleeping and don't it's not sleeping in a nice comfy sofa bed they're sleeping no, like... on the massage bed um with a towel from over them and that's what they do and then you've got beasts like alonzo who's just like i feel like he spent five hours just sat in a chair re- looking like staring at a wall and then when it was like oh it's go time it's like okay let's go and i'm just like how how do you look like you just skipped out of breakfast and you've been up for you know fresh for 30 minutes um but also just and the be the oldest trying... driver on the grid. <laughs> well, I think that's probably a measure of his experience that he's just so good at staying dialed in, which is and, a massive challenge. And the Alonso Renaissance was definitely one of the highlights of the season for me. <laughs> I loved him getting to show his talent, show his personality. And you, of course, got to see so much of that firsthand with Aston Martin, which must have been so fun. He, he got the TikTok Spanish award for like creator <laughs> of the year. And I'm like, I'm sorry. Stop what, it. Oh, yeah, no, no. I'm like, what book am I reading right now? Like what, <laughs> what warped reality am I in? Where Fernando Alonso, who not only two years ago was essentially taking the piss out of these young people who knew nothing about the sport, like completely flipped it on his head. And yeah. like, I, I often talk about this when people diss on or get angry with Max Verstappen and they don't like his personality. And I'm like, can we go back, rewind and look at Sebastian Vettel six, seven, eight we years ago? We talk about this so much. Or even yes. yeah. on a journey, they're all on a journey. And so this, I don't, I don't care who you are as long as you're on a journey to becoming a better human being. So Alonso's renaissance of just like, oh, crap, I actually do need the young female audience and what's the best way is actually to respect them and pay attention and figure out their medium. Yes, and also him getting GQ Man of the Year in Spain is the cherry on top, so... That man, and I don't know what it is. I think, you know, got to give it to Taylor a little bit. That's why he got GQ Man of the Year and got yes. personality. I think it's just that rumor. I think he, it was all planned by him. He's like, how do I get this? I'm going to need He's Taylor. <laughs> you know, so I think those those are my moments. But I do realize with the Vegas one that it's a, it's a very privileged thing to be able to say. But it was one of those moments in the sport. I was like, I'm never going to witness this again. Yeah. I'm seeing things. I'm understanding things better. I have deep empathy for a lot more people um and there is something very brutal of just not knowing and i think that's very true for the fans but very true for the people also in the sport where they're just like are we forcing ourselves to stay up longer are we downing more red bulls or am i or you know or whatever <laughs> you know caffeine beverage of choice or like are we about to be told that we can pack up and fall asleep in two hours hence i don't want to be drinking more ca-. like it's just this yeah, so many like little it's such a gamble um and honestly that the way that you know any inaugural race is absolutely fascinating as well. So that was that whole weekend was a blur, but really interesting. And I think a pivotal moment for the sport as well for many yeah. reasons. Yeah, we, we so enjoyed it too. One thing that I think about for this season too, obviously you guys all hit on the biggest points, but 
for me, it's like there wasn't that much conversation or maybe there was around the rookies. So we had three rookies and we don't know what's happening with Logan. We obviously know what happened with, with Nick. And then Oscar was just above and beyond so incredible, but it's kind of like this thing. It's some rookies are getting a ton of pressure at the beginning of the season, a la Nick, you know, losing his seat. And then you have Logan being so supported by the team all the way through the last race. And like the hope for him is to have the seat. And then there's like this disappointment that comes thinking, okay, do we have any rookies for next year? Because that's always such a fun part of the sport as well. And so that's one thing that is just always going to be a roller coaster every season. And it's fun to watch. And I really do hope that we get some of that next year. That reminds me, we haven't talked yet about the big Daniel Ricciardo return, which was really our only, I think that was just one of the most epic moments of the season. And also was really our only big silly season moment. That was just kind of explosive. So I don't know if Tony, you have thoughts on that or what your- That's all I can say. After the silliest of freaking seasons that we had last year, truly, (laughs) I was just like, thank you. At least there's something. Yeah, I don't need more than this. This will just one thing, one big announcement. Just one thing. That that is perfect. Because my God, 2021 and 2022, I remember looking at this going, I can't I can't keep up. I hate that. I genuinely am not enjoying this. Like every day feels like a panic attack. I was also doing a lot of live streaming and I would wake up every day (laughs) with just messages going, We're gonna need an emergency stream. like I'm not prepped for emergency streams right now. I don't even know what's happening. Um, I don't know. I, I I think his comeback is fascinating. What I loved hearing him say um, in Abu Dhabi was just like, I don't need a break. I don't want a break. I want to get back into the 2024 yeah. season prep. And it's interesting because obviously I'm not a Formula One driver um, in any way, shape, or form. But I had the same feeling at the end of this year, which I did not have in the last couple of years, which is I genuinely cannot wait. For next season I and I hadn't yeah. experienced that in at least I want to say three to four years oh, interesting. Uh, yeah and I generally I yeah I as wrapping up Abu Dhabi I was just like cool and I got on the phone that next morning with teams and promoters and like let's just go let's plan 2024 season whereas I definitely know that for 2022 I think that was the same definitely for the same for 2021 where I was like I'm done I need three months where I don't actually talk about this yeah. sport I'm so over it I'm tired I'm exhausted and again like who am I to say that like I, I don't work fully in the industry I'm not a commentator I'm you know I'm just I'm just a content creator on the outside that's looking in so I was like if I'm exhausted as let's say a diehard (laughs) fan those teams must be absolutely broken and shattered and so very weirdly even though I disagree with the longer seasons that we're getting I as I was as I was thinking about our this this episode I was like oh wait I'm genuinely actually excited for 2024 and can't wait to get going and then that brought me back to Daniel Ricciardo which I don't think we've had that from him in a while as well and so that's I don't know I think you want that from the drivers you want that of like cool wrapped up this season I can't wait to get back in the simulator I can't wait to start prepping versus the like I need a break like, and you can yeah. see it in some of their eyes where they're just like, I'm done. I, yeah. And it's also, I mean, so exhausting. Danny had a, the short, short, short season made even shorter. So for him, it was probably like a glimpse of paradise to get his, get a seat back. And then it was just taken away from him. Yeah. So gotta love that gusto from him. It's like it's like a sprint. He experienced a sprint season. He's like, that's, <laughs> yeah. that's yes. why I like with the sprint races. It's like you get a little bit and you're left there going, oh shit, that's it, it's done. No, don't, you know, give me more. Um, which yeah. is, that's the genius of those sprint races, whether you love them or hate them. But I feel like that's what Daniel had. He had a, like a, a sprint season when, to your point, 
Jessa is just like, it was he and then it's gone. And then he's like, I need more, which yeah. I get. <laughs> That's another point that we've been fascinated by this season is just talking about the demands on not only the drivers, but also the teams when you're talking about a 23 to 24 week race year where they're race year where they're in hotels, probably over 200 nights a year. And then it's not as if they're getting, it's not as if they're on the beach for the three months of winter break, they're back full speed ahead in the factory, trying to get the 2024 car ready, which is largely already developed and very much underway. So, and another thing we've been thinking Mm -hmm. about a lot is the sponsor obligations as well. Like when we, we got to interview Oscar Piastri, he was our first driver interview. It was so exciting. And one thing he talked about, about his adjustment to formula one was how busy it is off the track and how the majority of what they do is working with the team and working with sponsors. It's not in the car. So kind of, yeah, yeah, thinking about how they have to go from a week of this insanity in Vegas with all this hospitality, all of these sponsors, fly almost 24 hours to Abu Dhabi, do it again. It's just unbelievable that these teams and drivers are able to pull it off. And I said no to Abu Dhabi. I was supposed to fly and I just, I looked at the map and I was like, ah, no, uh, I, <laughs> no, no. And I was, yeah, I was like, yeah, I was looking at it with my husband. And I was like, we're trying to map it out also logistically if it could work with him and his work. And then I was just like, it's a 26 hour journey with it's an insane. 11 hour time zone difference from where I am. I was like, and I, again, I'm not being paid the same salary. If I was being paid, you know, upwards <laughs> of 20 million, I'd get on the plane and I'd do the job. Yeah. Let's be real. Yeah. Um, um, my salary as a content creator is nowhere near that. Um, <laughs> but I definitely had a moment of like, wow, if I can't even be bothered, quote unquote, to do that, um, like what this, those journeys are just, they're soul sucking. Uh, there's just yeah. no other way of, of, of saying it. Ocon saying that they didn't see sunlight for like four days straight. It's just insane. And when you talk with their team, their, their te- their, not their team principals, when you talk with their personal trainers, um, I guess. Yeah, we talked with well, Logan about this. They like the schedule's insane. Like they will say, no, no, we force them to sleep till 3 p.m. in the afternoon and get up and be on the different time zone. And Vegas, they're already during the Vegas week, they're prepping them for the Abu Dhabi timeline and time frame. Oh my gosh. Hence also kind of why I think they had the races at the hours. I mean, it's all a logistical insanity. But yeah, they talk about like how this was the thing that was wild. I would we would get into the paddock for Vegas around 4 p.m. And they would be having breakfast at 6 p.m. And then they would have lunch at around midnight, one o'clock. And then they'd have dinner at like 6 a.m. in the morning the next day. And you're just sat there going, what? I'm sorry, what is that? Because they yeah. would, I would hear people say, hey, do you want to join us for breakfast? And I was like, haha, very funny. And they're like, what's funny? I was like, oh no, you're legit. It's 6 p.m. and you're talking about breakfast. Okay. Yeah, we had that with Mercedes. We were like, why is everyone eating scrambled eggs at 4 p.m.? <laughs> and you just think exactly. there and go, what a life. And when you've, got, what, when you've got family, again, the drivers are the most privileged. And I think most of them on the grid always talk about this, but you know, they can afford for their friends and family to travel with them. That's not the case for all the mechanics and the yeah. engineers and everyone Such else. Such a good team, point. Which, you know, how do you call, you know, stay in touch with your kids and your wife when you're just like, I'm trying to grab breakfast. They're going to sleep. Wait, what time are they on? It's just mental. mental. So deep empathy. Such a deep, good point. deep empathy for that. Yeah. 
So we want to jump into some stats from this season. We love some good stats. So let's start with our favorite wins. This list is a lot shorter. Sarah's than favorite. Last year. <laughs> <laughs> obviously Sarah. for that. Let's go, Sarah. <laughs> so Max, of course, had 19. The highest ever win percentage in F1 at 86.4%. An interesting fact is that his polls were only 11 out of 21, which is still amazing, but doesn't break the record held by Vettel, 15 out of 19 in 2011. So other pole sitters, we had Checo, Carlos, and Lewis, and then famously Charles, who now Max wins more from pole than poor Charles does. So that's an interesting one. (laughs) Oh, that pole guy. Yeah, poor, poor guy. And this is the first season since 2006 that there were zero Mercedes-powered wins if we don't count Oscar's sprint win, which is still an honorable mention. And a question for you, Tony. We saw on your TikTok, which is amazing. So for people on TikTok, definitely check out Tony on there. We saw that this crazy amount of points for Max is translating into a crazy super license fee. Can you explain that? So, um, fun fact, um, F1 is really expensive. Um, Um, and you know, everyone will say this is nothing compared to what they actually make. Yeah. Yeah. We know that. And the react, so both to drive in formula one, you need to have a super license. Mm -hmm. Um, there's a bunch of criteria actually because of Max Verstappen getting his super license before the age of 18, they've now changed it, um, that you have to be 18 of age to get your super license. And there's a bunch of other criteria. Um, but you also need to pay for it. And it's like, it's a, it's, it's a base entry fee. I think of something like 10,000 us dollars. Don't quote me on exactly the numbers, but more or less, let's just to to eat, to, to round it out, 10,000 us dollars, um, to basically as a rookie to enter Formula One and to enter Formula One, you need to have the super license point and that's what right. that money is going towards. Um, similar for teams, if they want to participate in Formula One, they have to pay an entry fee. And the way all of this is calculated, both the super license and the entry fee is you have a flat base fee that you pay. And then for every point that you make during that season, either as a totality of a team or as a pure driver, you pay an extra couple grand. Oh, Lord. So for someone <laughs> like Max Verstappen, just a couple grand. Um, so for someone <laughs> like Max Verstappen, he is getting close to paying $1.2 million for his super <gasps> license fee, aka his entry into Formula One, whereas someone like Logan Sargent is paying, I think, like a mediocre 12, I say mediocre, I'll take it, um, 12,000 <laughs> US dollars. So the price difference is absolutely what? insane. And so there's two ways of looking at it. I really find it fascinating when fans, the knee jerk reaction is, wait, that's rude. Like the better you are, the more expensive it is to enter the sport. I like, that makes- just explained this to someone the other day and they were like, I don't understand. I don't understand. Um, which, you know, I honestly, I can play devil's advocate and see that of just like the better you get. Like I just imagine, I'm just trying to think of any other situation where in your friend group, I don't know, imagine the better you are at something, the more you're just like, well, pay up. I just, just something weird about that. Um, or there's another way of looking at it, which is, you know, this is this this all goes towards the FIA and it all goes to, you know, valuable resources, yada, yada, yada. But the reality mm-hmm. is Max Verstappen isn't paying this out of his own pocket. The team is actually paying for that. But then when you think of it from that level as well, the teams are going to pay exorbitant fees as well, entry fees, because mm-hmm. they're look, looking after both Max Verstappen's points, but also Checo Perez's points as a team 
the price per point is also exponentially higher. So oh. we're not talking, yeah. So 800 adds, something might yeah. add up to something. <laughs> so it all adds up very, very fast. Um, Max we, must be like spiritually aggrieved by this of having the best season of all time and getting charged millions of dollars for especially it. Especially <laughs> as Max Verstappen is the kind of guy who I always yeah. love when he's just like, well, I hope the FIA has a nice dinner with this fine. Yeah. Um, like <laughs> He's gonna, you know, I can't remember what season he, he had done that. Um, but yeah, that's the story behind uh, behind the super licenses even if you want to join the you know we always say that it's really hard to get a, you know a seat in formula one and you need to come with sponsors you also need to pay for your super license but what i do find incredibly funny is i guess logan Sargent gets something out of this that he's like i'm cheap like i don't know what everyone's gonna like, you <laughs> take keep, me please yeah keep the boy on the team because i am cheap like look at max <laughs> over there that team is having to pay 1.2 million for him to ride um in f1 and i'm you know just take me <laughs> um, well if you factor if I- in the car damage, damage and rebuild throughout the season I think it might actually even out Max isn't oh costing boy. the team a lot of money throughout the season that is very true <laughs> do we have those numbers this year because I remember in 2021 or 2022 Charles Leclerc was up there in terms of the one of the drivers costing the teams the most amount of money which is insane. probably second to TV. Oh. yes <laughs> it's the the destructors or like constructors of destru- destructors or something. Yeah, <laughs> I forget how it's great. phrased. But oh, it's we'll funny. have to look at that. Yeah. Oh, it's a, um, it's a brutal, brutal one. But yeah, um, yeah. The the super license is is kind of wild. Um, the exact number for Logan Sargent is twelve thousand five hundred. That's what he's wow. That's what he's charging. And that's I just spread. got the in front of me for Max Verstappen. It's one point one million one hundred ten thousand and eight hundred dollars. <laughs> oh my gosh. <laughs> Yeah, a lot of dinners for the FIA. Well, a lot of dinners for the FIA. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right, let's turn to podiums because they were a little bit better. Over half the grid stood on the podium at some point, which is so great. So Max obviously had his 19 wins. He had two other podiums besides that. So basically every race except for one, Max stood on the podium. Checo Wait, had which, nine. Which, which race was he not on the podium? Singapore. Yeah. Which we'll get to that when we get into our listener survey. We asked people the best race, and no surprise, Obviously. Singapore was <laughs> never <laughs> <the Sarah>. top. <laughs> yeah. Um, so we had Checo with nine, Alonso with eight, Lando with seven, which was incredible for him because in the last eight races he had five podiums, which should bode well for 2024. Lewis and Charles six each, Signs three, Piastri and Russell two, Ocon and Gasly one. So a lot of the grid and a lot of teams represented here, which is exciting. So. And o- was it Ocon's podium was in Monaco? Yeah, that was great. Very, and it was, I think it was the first time that a Frenchman had been there for like yeah. a long time. I think like something like fifty or sixty years, if I'm not mistaken, which is wild. But that's I think so that's back to Sarah's initial point, which is for anyone who was saying the season was boring. No, look at the midfield battles; they're like really exciting, and to the rise of McLaren or the rise and then demise somewhat, which is maybe a harsh word of of Aston Martin. But there was mm-hmm. there's a lot. If to your, I hadn't realized that that was a stat. That's a really cool stat. Actually, the half the grid found itself on the podium. Yeah. And that's always like for me, that's what I want. Like I'm never really going to be partial to a driver or a team. I'm more partial to not fairness, but like that spiciness in the middle is what keeps me coming back. Um, Okay. So speaking of spiciness and some fun ones, let's do fastest lap. So Max had nine. Lewis had four. Checo and Oscar each had two. And then Joe, George, Alonso, Yuki, and Lando each had one. I'm surprised that Oscar had more than, than Lando. But he's such a yeah. great rookie. I shouldn't I'm be not, surprised. He's he's that was he's killed it this year. I mean, and 
I don't think he had a choice, quite frankly, after the kerfuffle yeah. that he caused everyone the year before. I think I remember. Oh, forget about that. that yeah. Oh, you. How can you forget about that? <laughs> um, I have a memory like a sieve, but that one is one where you just look at and go, "Oh boy, you better rock into that paddock and yes. own the hell out of that seat." Yeah. The amount of pressure, even Toto was weighing in, saying basically almost in not so many words, calling Oscar ungrateful and saying you should be sticking with your original team after they invested in you. Like people were, there was just so much talk and it's in amazing seeing him be the best rookie by far, the best rookie in a very long time. And also just so cool and level-headed and collected. And we've talked a lot this year about how he really seems to drive beyond his years, his maturity and situations on the radio, like his race engineer asking him, oh, did Checo push you off? And him saying, oh, not really. Seems okay. And just the, the <laughs> level-headedness in tough situations, like when he's barely lost out on podiums because of safety cars, situations where other drivers are getting so upset and where you'd expect because of his age, him to maybe react more. He just is heads down and performs. So he's he, he's just so impressive. He reminds me of um, very much so, in, very weirdly, but very much so of someone like Lewis Hamilton. He reminds me of someone who's had to grow up very fast and take mm -hmm. a lot of responsibilities, who hasn't had, and I know very little about his childhood and his past, but you can tell when someone just like had to grow up really fast and take responsibilities and, and just be an adult at a very young age. And that's what he reminds me of. And I, you see that a lot with, I think with Lewis as well, who was always felt like he was speaking to an adult, even though he was 20 or 19. When some of the drivers, you're like, oh, I'm talking to a child. I'm talking to a teenager. We won't like, name names, but yes. Yeah. But you know, you've got, <laughs> he falls into that former category and listening, even him talking in the McLaren hospitality, I was like, wait, this guy's like, not that I, yeah, not that I expected anything different, but I was like, oh, you can hold a crowd and you can hold yeah. a conversation and you can hold a discussion. Yeah, a he's smart. When we interviewed him too, he was like, yeah, my fallback was physics and maths. We're like, okay. Surprise me. Yeah. <laughs> a renaissance man, I think we called him. Exactly. <laughs> Did you call him that to his face? I bet he loved I that. I think I might have. I was kind of nervous. <laughs> we kind of blacked out everything we said during that interview. So we're, we're not really sure. <laughs> I, I think that is something he's probably never going to forget. I was like, I remember that day. I was called a renaissance man. Uh <laughs> yeah, who knows? <laughs> We'll have to go back and check that. That'd be very funny. So yeah. good. But yeah, I agree with you on that. Smart guy. But I don't think he had a choice. Like, no, if I, if that not. was me the year before, I'd be like, I'd be studying all summer. I'd be like, okay, this is where I go in the paddock. Like, I'd be like studying. This is what I go the garage looks like in Formula don't One. Get lost. <laughs> I don't get lost. I know where yeah. I'm going. And I'm not going to be a burden. That's the other thing. He feels like he's never burdened to anyone. He just gets yeah. the yeah. job done, which is insane. Um, he did everything he needed to. And more and so, so. Yeah, okay sarah cool. take us through the dnfs of the season <laughs> okay dnfs Ocon and sergeant tied with seven and then several drivers all had four to five so albon russell leclerc and kmag all had four to five the rest of the grid all had two to three except for lewis lando and max lewis and lando each had one and max was the only driver with zero <laughs> and wow. It's, that is another great stat because it just shows Red Bull executes at every single level of the organization in ways that other teams just don't. So yeah. it starts at the factory with the car design, the engineering, then the traveling team with logistics and mechanics, then the 
on track team with pit stops being flawless almost every single time, the strategy being flawless every single time. It's just that is the type of machine that has made it so historic because there's drivers like Charles where for whatever reason, sometimes it's him making mistakes. More often than not, it's Ferrari making mistakes, but there's just so many cracks at multiple layers of the process and Red Bull is just flawless. I love that. <laughs> that. That needs to go on the hat, you know? Red Bull's just flawless. Red Bull is flawless. I spoke with... Um, Red Bull is flawless. I'd I'm wear that. cracking up. Um, I spoke with a guy, Scott Mansell, who does a lot of driving techniques with drivers and who's driven a bunch of Formula One cars. And he was talking about Max and I was asking him like driving style, like what makes Max so special? Is it just the combo of Max and and that car? And he's like, undoubtedly that car is, is, is a phenomenal, yeah. like it's a phenomenal car. Um, but he was saying with Max is that he has all of the elements. Like some yeah. drivers have great reliability. Some drivers have great ad- adaptability some drivers are just great with speed and have natural and he's like he has it all he has it all and he has gotten better in every single category and there are very few drivers in the history of formula one michael schumacher lewis hamilton sir lewis hamilton that you can actually sir yeah that you can actually say that about where they're just like yeah and he was explaining it was like a a spider's web of you where you chart people and they're like oh they have great adaptability and they have great reliability and they have natural speed and they have natural talent and he was just like max is just like he hits them all and you just look at this and go can the guy get any better and the answer is probably um right (laughs) now i mean (laughs) red bull did say that there was always room to grow like in the car in next year and i think max is such a machine that he's probably you know, when you're that oh, good, he's you working now. <laughs> yeah, he's yeah. hyperfixing right now on yourself. what you can do. Yeah. It's like, what was yeah. that zero point zero one percent that I got wrong? Where is it? Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah no, it's literally exactly. Yeah. There was a great. There was a print feature of him in Time Magazine, um, which again is just another interesting example of a really big print American outlet doing a feature. And there was such a funny quote of how he loves sim racing and esports, and so when he's not driving his car he's virtually driving a car and there was a funny quote from his girlfriend of her saying yeah sometimes I just try to remind him like there's an outdoors you can go see trees or whatever so <laughs> there's something other yeah <laughs> single track mind no pun intended literally <laughs> women's health is so important and balanced hormones are key for that we've been loving hormone harmony from happy mammoth who's committed to making women's lives easier Hormone Harmony contains adaptogens, science-backed herbal extracts that help the body adapt to stressors like hormonal changes that happen naturally throughout a woman's life. We love it because it helps us maintain optimal hormone levels and supports our mood and general well-being. There is a reason that one bottle of Hormone Harmony is sold every 24 seconds. For a limited time, you can get 15% off on your entire first order at happymammoth.com. Just use code F1Rthegirls at checkout. That's happymammoth.com and use the code F1Rthegirls for 15% off today. Okay, friends, it's festival and concert season, and you know it's all about the boots this year. That's why you need to make Tacova's your number one place for festival style this spring. And don't forget to shop their seasonal and limited edition offerings, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. We love Tacova's. They have a first wear comfort, which basically means there's no break in period. It's the best thing ever. So stop by your local Tacova store, have a complimentary drink or two, and shop new styles. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personal. 
personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's really no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it to a store, though, just visit tecovas.com, T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots, as well as free returns and exchanges, and they ship right to your door. Go to tecovas.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. Um, okay, let's jump to overtakes. So some of this is skewed. Obviously, Max doesn't start from the back very often, so he may not have as many overtakes as he would if he were starting in the midfield. But we had Checo with 95 coming in first, then Russell with That's 81. because Checo was always starting farther back than he should have. <laughs> Way behind than the car should have been. <laughs> yeah. That's fair. That is fair. Um, Russell and Hamilton, 81, then 73, Piastri at 69. So those are our top four. And then okay. most overtaken, this is unfortunate, but Hulkenberg <laughs> at 112 times, Botas 110, and K-Mag 109. So th- those are drivers from the teams that finished at the back wow. of constructors, but so maybe not so surprising. Least overtaken, Max with five. He had four in Singapore and one in Las Vegas, and that's it, <laughs> which is insane. Uh, Checo, 25, so and Alonso, 38. So ministers of defense, I would say, Checo and Alonso, they they really uh, show their experience there and I think tire management and just great defense, so good for them. Wow. It's very yeah. cool. Um, it's interesting uh, seeing both Mercedes drivers up there. Like I feel like they're very – scrappy in that kind of p4 to p8 scenario that they're often in and being able to kind of muscle through that is one of their big strengths from the season i think part of it is having a car that wasn't as well suited to a fast qualifying lap and maybe being a little bit more suited to race pace and managing kind of the full length of a race so yeah Yeah. i think it it's interesting they didn't have the best car this season but well enough on race pace that they were able to kind of charge through the field when needed um yeah. should I feel we like no one had season? a good car this season when you look yeah. at the red bull like that's it's so sad isn't it that um, because it's a nice reminder they had just, some of those teams like aston built a very fast car mercedes had a genuinely like not too bad so did ferrari but in the grand yeah. scheme of things it means nothing um they're yeah. in a league of their own like with yeah. their points you can see it um, okay, should we do our season LVPs and MVPs? This is our favorite segment, Tony. We love it. Okay, I love it. I can't <laughs> wait to hear. Let's do it. Um, okay, for me, I have to give my season MVP to McLaren. I think they yeah, really came from nowhere at the beginning of the season. They got the car development spot on starting in Austria, which we were so lucky to be there for. And they have two of the most talented drivers on the grid. And they developed, I think, over the season really well. I think we did an Instagram poll at one point of like who actually has raw talent, the best pairing on the grid. And a lot of people said Lando and Oscar, which is interesting when you look at like Hamilton and George, Max and Checo, there are a lot of really talented pairings. But aside from that, just from a business perspective, I feel like McLaren's marketing, social, sponsorship, sustainability strategies, like they're firing on all cylinders. They're also across so many different series that they're yeah, performing that's quite well in. So hats off to them. I just think McLaren has knocked it out of the park this season. Um, also, it just has to be said, what an incredible welcoming team, especially the women we've worked with. So that's yeah, been amazing. So cool. For LVP... Oh, it's so hard to say because it's like so much work goes into a Formula One season, but I think I have to say Alfa Romeo. They did finish ahead of Haas 
in constructors, but I don't know if this is just a feeling. I just felt like Haas had maybe more moments of quote unquote glory, especially during quali than Alfa Romeo did, even if they, if Haas couldn't string it together in a race. But to me, Alpha just kind of felt like disappointment weekend after weekend, which is hard to say. It was like a quiet like, disappointment. Nothing yeah. crazy ever happened to them. I like both the drivers. I love the team. Like it's just, yeah, it just felt like performance wise, they really couldn't, couldn't figure it out. Botas is one of those drivers too, who's so fast, so talented, was routinely not equaling Lewis on pace, but fighting up there with him had his a fair number of wins at Mercedes. So I would love to see him just be able to kind of fight in those midfield battles, maybe mm-hmm. Maybe next year or the year after we can have a Botas renaissance, kind of like the Alonso renaissance. But <laughs> I would just love to see him kind of fighting fighting for points again. Um, for me, MVP, I have to go with Red Bull, obviously. But I'll just stop talking <laughs> at that. Please. Um, <laughs> oh, please stop. Um, LVP, I think Lance Stroll is one of the main Interesting. LVPs of the season. When you talk about comparative – driver pairings I think it's legendary in F1 that in order to kind of prove yourself and take the next next step forward you have to show that you can match kind of a legendary driver and it's very hard to be compared to Alonso in the same way it's very hard to be compared to Max or Lewis when you're going up against a world champion and driver of a generation that's you can be an amazing driver and still not match that which is Mm -hmm. what we see with a lot of those teammates but I think that Delta was just too stark at points this season. So I would love to see maybe him settle into the car more next year and be able to get just even a bit closer to Alonzo. Tony, what about your MVPs or LVPs? Um, oh. I it's think so hard. <laughs> my, yeah, I think as a driver, my MVP has to be Oscar Piastri for everything that we've just highlighted. Yes. I mean, I have very little affinity, bizarrely, to drivers. Like, I truly couldn't care less. I care for them as humans. And it's a weird thing to say, but I'm just like, I, I care for the entire package of what they bring. And I just find humans absolutely fascinating. But I don't have any specific, like, diehard affinity loyalties, to any, yeah. yeah, loyalties to any single driver. I'm just like, you are all the tw- some of the best drivers in the world. Some of you are here by pure grit talent. Some of you are here because, you know, you're lucky. And I don't mean that as a bad thing. I was just like, you were at the right time, at the right place, with the right seat yeah, open, with, with, with the pockets full and lined up and, you know, commercial, whatever you name, you know, there's, there's definitely a, a, a small amount of, of luck there. And I just think Oscar is a fascinating story. And again, I won't spend too much time on all the reasons, but I think he's... He's done such an, he's, he was a surprise to me. And I think regardless of where he lands on the grand scheme of things, I was just like, oh, you took me by surprise and delighted and and fun to watch. Um, I think very similar to what's been said also, McLaren as an entire team, um, I just, to your point, they're business wizards. Like there's just no, although I will say this, I really deeply appreciated that the day after, or the same day that they announced the McLaren for Monster Partnership, um, Red Bull comes out on social and posts yeah. a video of Lando Norris drinking a Red Bull and saying, don't worry, Lando, we've got your back. And I was like, oh, I'm going to miss the F1 admins. Um, yeah, but this is why it's also like, 
this is entertaining enough. Like there's so many different things that you can plug into that are hilarious and great. So and the Red like, Bull Spotify wrapped of the Dutch National Anthem oh my was God, so help. funny. Like <laughs> you've you heard Alpine? it 330 million times and you can't get enough. <laughs> Did you see Alpine put on TikTok a picture of Esteban Ocon, Pierre Gasly, sat, and it's a picture carousel and it just says, what did we learn this year? And it's like, we learned how to sing the Dutch national Oh, no. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, wait. So this goes really well into my LVP, which I think is Alpine, because last year they were top of the midfield. They were P4. They were crushing it. And then this year they were not only bottom of the midfield, but they weren't even in the midfield because they were almost 100 or over 150 points behind McLaren and Aston Martin in no man's land. So – to me, that's a bummer and kind of shows like you can have these high highs of the development race. The team can really crack that nut. And then other years, you can just go from the best that you were, could have been to the worst that you could have been. And so I really, really do like great they, drivers. Yeah. Alpine, I, I wonder this because we've just highlighted a couple of times like McLaren being so phenomenal, like all the the full rounded package, but also business-wise, they've had such an incredible year. Business-wise, Alpine have been all over the place. Like they've had massive internal restructuring. They've shifted their strategy, their goalposts, all of that. And I wonder how much of that trickles down into it performance. And so there's just an interesting thing of you can develop the best car, but also can you develop the best car when your whole entire organization is being shifted and changed and the leadership's gone and leadership's coming back and you don't know where to look? And like, can you actually under those circumstances build a winning team? So I've always wondered Mm -hmm. like how much of the business side of it, no matter how good or bad, trickles down into the actual development of the car or can you legitimately keep those two separate and be like, the company might be burning and business might be terrible, but in the garage right now, we're able to. And I, can yeah, I don't think you both. can. You don't think you can? No. I mean, it's just you have to be firing on all cylinders. Things can slip through the cracks. And like maybe there's the the random team that can do it. But that's something that we talked about a lot, too. But it just goes to show like maybe you do have to have some slight periods of upheaval to then come back really yeah. winning. So hopefully next year they can really bring that full package. Yeah. Yeah. It's interesting the question of whether in certain situations the upheaval in senior leadership is more damaging, which I think was a big question for Alpine this year of switching out so many senior people at once. And we've talked about this a lot in the context of Bonotto, of how, of course, team principals are under a lot of pressure. They're going to get replaced if they're not performing. And last year, Ferrari did kind of squander a competitive opportunity. But at the same time, it's not as if Vasseurs come in and they look like an entirely different team and they're now firing on all cylinders. They're still facing a lot of the same challenges. They look in basically every relevant aspect like the same team as last year. So it just goes to show like it's not necessarily, I think sometimes it's more of a band-aid, like just switching out a senior leader and hoping that that'll change the entire team. Oh, it's the exact yeah. thing that they need. Yeah, you never know. And it takes time. Yeah. And it takes time. And that's what's it crazy in this sport. Is. No one has patience or time. Yeah. No. <laughs> Literally. Like, like exactly. no one. And they're just like, no, fast, not fast enough. Not qu-. Which, again, I think is why you've got to give it to someone like Oscar, where you're just like, wow, you came in and took no, wasted absolutely no time to get settled in and show people. Like, again, like, there's something to be said about that, um, which is insane, which is why I always have such deep empathy and astonishment for reserve drivers because what a weird weird warped world like Lawson just coming right in yeah 
where you've got to be ready to get in that car, but mentally you're like, there's 99% chance that I am going to be sat on the yeah. sidelines. So why don't I just eat the burger, drink the champagne? <laughs> and it's just like, you can see it during a, in the paddock during a race weekend, the moment they're like, cool, I'm not going to be, no, no matter what happens, because you can't step in as a reserve driver if you haven't done at least one practice session. So there's, or you can't just mm -hmm. go into the race. So there's a moment when it's like, too far gone where you're just like okay they're off duty the, yeah you're off duty yeah. and you can kind of see that mental switch but also just what an insane job to just always be ready to jump in the car and just but you're right Liam Lawson is a perfect example of that yeah and it's it's interesting the rookie question because Liam is so talented and I think so deserving of a seat and I would I would have loved to see him get something it's what's so hard about F1 is there are only 20 seats and that's kind of the pros and cons of this you know, debate around Logan, it's like, well, he is a rookie and he only had one year develop. And sometimes they deserve more than that. But also we have all these other people waiting in the wings and there just are no spaces for them, no matter how talented they are. So it just, it feels really difficult. But I want to kind of transition into our thoughts for next season. We probably won't have any rookies unless Logan gets replaced by someone who is one. We had last year the kind of team principal silly season over off season, which I'm guessing we won't have a repeat of that this year. But Tony, kind of from your perspective, as you think about 2024, off track, business, whatever angles you're interested in, kind of what are your thoughts as you look to, to next year? Gosh, there's, there's so much. Um... I did these predictions, like these wackadoo predictions. I don't do on-track predictions because they always end up being so, so off the mark. Ours are I, never yep. right. Ours are never and right. I'm not even talking never right. I'm talking so off the mark that I could be talking about an entirely <laughs> different sport that is just mortifying and embarrassing. So I've decided to keep those to myself. Um, but I did start doing like business predictions. Um, and for this year, I had a bunch. And what was interesting in 2022, most of them came true. I definitely called out the fact that the sport was going to plateau. And I think that's for a myriad of reasons I think the sport put their all of their eggs in the same basket of drive to survive and as someone who loves analyzing data and numbers I kept looking at the Nielsen reports and being like I don't see what people are seeing but no one is watching drive to survive and when I mean no one I mean the numbers are teeny tiny so there's a small group of diehard Formula One fans or fans who got into the sport but drive to survive in the last couple of seasons barely made it into the top 10 it barely stayed there for a week um and you know um a, um a show like breakpoint and full swing got a much larger audience than drive to survive um and i don't think most people realize that and so i was just like fascinated that f1 kept f1 and most of the media kept saying you know drive to survive created this whole impetus for for this whole new breath of fresh air into formula one and all of these new people and i was like no no it was a spark but the reality is the actual fuel that's been driving the sport is drive is actually content creators mm -hmm. um and i there's a big, large category of people that I would put in content creators. Like I, professional fans are content creators. I think most of us are professional fans. We take pictures, we take videos, we post them online, we create word of mouth, all of that. Of Anyone who owns a podcast, like everything that you're doing, like you have an impact and also you're showing up every single week. Whereas with Drive to Survive, you know, we... we we binge watch a season over a couple of, uh, of days and then we don't actually go back and talk about Drive to Survive. Mm -hmm. um, so that was, I think we're going to continue seeing that. I actually think, so I, the sport did indeed plateau and I think it is going to dip, which I think means that F1 and the series are going to wake up to the fact of, okay, what else do we need to do with this sport? How do we get, how do we get over the hype basically? Um, 
because the hype isn't going to sustain the sport. The hype gets people excited, but how do you keep them in the sport? And so I think we're going to see a lot more educational content. I do think we're going to start seeing Formula One and the FIA potentially start working with content creators and taking them a little bit more seriously. Mm. Um, What else? I think we're going to see really interesting sponsorships enter this space. And I think that is actually a trickle down or trickle over approach or spillover that's the word I'm looking for I think that's going to be a little bit of a spillover from potentially all the hype that we're seeing I think we're going to start seeing new and interesting brands who want to be a part of Formula One I think also Formula One in all spaces are going to have to bring their numbers down I think whether that's how much it costs to attend a race how much it costs to be a sponsor of the sport I think there's going to be a little bit of a humbling moment where people are like cool cool we want to be a part of the sport but you're delusional if you think we're paying those (laughs) prices Um, and then I think we're going to have a a really interesting um, moment with streaming Um, it was really fascinating in Vegas to be a part of the Netflix Cup and see that live. And that was Netflix's first foray into live sports. So Amazon, Apple, basically when it comes to sports, have gone down the live sports route and Netflix has gone down the docuseries. There's a plethora of docuseries Mm -hmm. that they've done in this space. And this was the first foray of Netflix in this space. And I think that is definitely Netflix looking at this going, we can do live sports. And so I think that's going to radically change like traditional broadcasters versus streamers, which then puts the big question mark around F1 TV. Like that's going to have to become, I think, somewhat of a slightly different different product than what it is now now, right now and it's a phenomenal product Mm. um and then i think f1's gonna have to figure out who their audience is because i actually don't think we know who an f1 audience actually is today um which i think is great because it's wonderful and amazing and we don't know when everyone's an f1 fan but i think from a an advertiser perspective like who are you advertising to because when i talk with the likes of sky sports and they have in mind you know our traditional diehard fan i think they have an idea someone like my dad but my dad realistically tunes into the race tunes out doesn't talk about f1 for the rest of the week and then i look at this group of four young women who are doing something with that content and and that is actually your diehard audience but i don't know how many companies and broadcasters have people who look like us or people who fundamentally don't look like us in mind but it's not your middle-aged cis white man that I think you are used to and I think there's there's like a distortion there that I think is going to be really interesting wow um, I could go these on for so well said I could go yeah. on these are so good yeah that's and what I'm excited about. I'm excited for the sponsorship thing and you know what makes it even cooler is seeing female drivers come into the sport like f1 academy we did an interview with Bianca and she's getting sponsored <sighs> by makeup companies like it's going to be really cool. I think that's a great prediction. And one of my things that I've been banging my head on about is like, why do we not have, um, and I'm speaking as a, obviously a pale redhead who spends 10 minutes in the sun and will burn to a crisp, but I'm like, why do we not have a a sunscreen brand in this sport where most of us are, it's mostly taking place in really hot countries. Most of the fans, like we're talking 350,000 fans who are standing outside for what, 10 hours over baking over a race weekend. And I'm not alone in talking about this. And that's what was interesting when I sat down with both Michaela um, from She Loves F1, who I know she's been oh, on your podcast. Her. She's yeah. amazing. And Lily. And we were discussing a lot of this of just like how important and crucial women have been in driving the sports popularity. And we're talking about the things that we want to see more of. Um, and we talked about this on the on the Red Bulletin podcast, but we talk about things that we want to talk about. And yet what people say, yeah, yeah, cool, cool, not interested and move on. And again, I think that's why McLaren, you've got to put them in the MVPs because they knew they yeah. knew what they were doing. Um, and fun yeah. fact, I believe that post of announcing Bianca was one of the it, most liked yes. posts and the most successful. Most liked driver announcement they've ever had. Yeah. It's incredible. No it's one's absolutely shocked. incredible. Like 
No one's shocked here. And, and so that's the thing for 2024 is like, you know it, you've been saying about it. Team principals have been hitting, you know, tapping themselves on the back going, oh my God, we've got an incredible demographic. It's 32 years of age, which most series would kill for this demographic. It's 41% women. I'm like, great, what are you going to do about that? And I think yeah. that is finally going to happen next year. Like the cool, what are you going to do about that? Oh, we can't wait. It's funny looking at the sponsorship makeup. And yes, you have some consumer brands, but it's a lot of B2B software companies, you know? It's so interesting. Yeah. Um, and imagine being JP Morgan, by the way. Imagine being JP Morgan and being given as a driver Lando Norris and Oscar Piastri and then being like, what do you want us to do with two young drivers who probably are not in the banking space? And we need to like pitch them to our executives. Yeah. Like it's hard. Like you're, you're, yeah. you know, you have all these incredible sponsors and then you have the driver, which again, I think is going to be really cool to see the pairing between these brands and <laughs> yeah. these young women um totally. and again nothing against oscar piastri but if i was a you know or, or lando norris but if i was a 50 year old man in finance i don't think i would want to take thought leadership advice maybe from an oscar piastri <laughs> you know you just sort of go that's an, and again i think that's what's great about this sport is you have to get really creative about how you're gonna you know how you're gonna partner with the drivers and the teams and get creative which yeah. is fun Totally. Ugh. All right. Let's turn to the listener survey. Um, okay. So best overall driver. We had Max Verstappen, 71%. Pretty obvious there. But the the next two, we had Lando Norris and Charles Leclerc. So Lando had 8%. Charles had 5%. Not much to say there. I feel like Max really took the cake and it, it makes sense. But I, I did find it fascinating yeah. that Lando came second. So good for him. <laughs> I think he's amazing. The most improved is an, also an interesting category. We had Oscar Piastri at 37%, Lando at 22 and then Yuki at 17 because he did have a bit of a bright spot at the end of the season. So that's an interesting one. It was fresh in people's I was minds. surprised to see Yuki there. I mean, I think that's great. It was but fresh. I was really surprised. Yeah, that's fair. Yeah. I was surprised not to see George people love in him. the most improved. Yeah, people do love Yuki. Yeah, people <laughs> – Yeah. <laughs> I wonder how much that clouds our judgment. Then we're just like, oh, well, we love him so much. He's such a breath <laughs> And just pressure. wanting someone to succeed. Yeah, so making them most improved. For least improved, for votes, we had Lance Stroll with 18%, Logan Sargent at 16%, and Checo at 15%. That also is pretty expected. The Checo one checks out. <laughs> Definitely. Checo arguably deserves the top spot there. Yeah, I think um, so. For most likely to be a future world champion, this is a fun Ooh. one. We had Oscar Piastri at 41%. Yes. Lando at 30%. And Charles at 20%. This is fascinating to me. It's so first crazy. off, Oscar beating Lando by 11 points is very interesting. And where's George? I'm kind of – this might be focusing more on drivers than teams, but I think oftentimes when I think of who's most likely to have a complete season, that would win them – a championship first. I often think of George ahead of Charles, but maybe with Mercedes, it's not true anymore. Yeah. I mean, I said this to you, to Sarah and Tiggy. I texted them last week. I was like, hot take Oscar Piastri is the new Max Verstappen or the next Max, <laughs> the next Max Verstappen. So I'm not I think your hot take, fun. Jessa, was that it was going to be next season. He was the next Max Verstappen, which might be a little hot, but I'm fully on board with he is the next Max Verstappen at some point. <laughs> She's like, I'm giving him we a 12-month timeline. Let's go. Thank you, Tony. <laughs> From rookie yeah, to breaking all it. the records <laughs> in one year. And dethrone um, the world champion. <laughs> so most it. likely to retire or lose their seat next. Logan Sargent, 40%. Makes sense. He's not signed yet. 
Checo, 22%, and then Lance Stroll, 14%. That feels pretty uh, accurate, I would say. Yeah. For best overall team, we had Red Bull on 60%, enough said, McLaren 28, <laughs> which we love, and then Tiki, we had a Mercedes in 6%. So getting some Mercedes reps in for you. No, that's I, was, I think I was the same thing as you. I was just like, I'm surprised by that. <laughs> yeah, it is surprising. And I have nothing I more mean, to I say. Guess- if you're thinking about Nothing Mercedes <laughs> as a team in general and not their performance this season, maybe that is fair. I mean, I would say Mercedes is a great team as the resident Mercedes fan. But yeah, best overall team for this season. I I even would not put them on the podium for that. Yeah. Okay, this is a fun one. Best social media team. Aston um, Martin, 32%. Yes. McLaren, 27%. And then Mercedes, 22 because they did that funny one of George with the that they use that one a lot. <laughs> Wasn't that like the most popular meme of the year or something like that? Yeah. I'm surprised Red Bull isn't in there because they've done really good as well. Um, and I'm so I'm sure Sarah's really gutted that Red Bull's not in there. Uh, <laughs> they do well, some think- funny self. They do some funny self-deprecating stuff. Like the Spotify Wrapped one was so funny because it has the tongue-in-cheek. Like, oh, you heard it 300 million times and you loved it. So they're at <laughs> least kind of acknowledging that which is yeah. funny but I think I agree Aston Martin and and McLaren were both amazing yeah best livery this is a fun one McLaren 26 percent Ferrari 19 percent Alfa Romeo and Williams tied at 12 percent I'm surprised Aston Wait, Martin why isn't, isn't Aston there. Martin yeah exactly yeah theirs is the sickest it's and so Williams cool. and Alfa Romeo it's interesting I think some of these I think Alpha Man Williams probably got late breaking bumps from their Vegas liveries since those were so fun. Yeah, I think that oh, was the Alpha Tari ones. Yeah. Yes. Uh, okay, we talked about this earlier, but best race this season, uh, Singapore. Yeah. The only non Red Bull win. And then, of course, Vegas got the most. Oh. <laughs> Vegas was an interesting surprise, um, I have to say. Vegas was definitely. I think that's probably why people loved it as well as the bar and the expectation was so low. Like, yeah, so low. and it gave us such great racing, which was incredible. So I think I think it really delivered on a lot of fronts. Um, we'll do a couple fun ones uh, that were write-ins. So we had, I'll do some shout-outs of best press conference moments. So we had the sad Lewis and Charles after disqualifying in Austin, which was that funny, was, and that turned talk into Talk about meme. social media teams. <laughs> yeah, that, that was, was incredible. Um, oh Charles's, I don't think anymore, which is very sad. <laughs> He's just like, I, just, I don't think anymore. And Max saying incident. Those were ones that we got many, many times over. <laughs> so they were good. Best merch drop. We had Enchante and McLaren kind of repeated over and over and over again. Lando's 100th race was repeated a lot. The, of course, Botas calendar and Lewis uh, and the Murakami. (laughs) Uh, Yeah, those, those were all good. The calendar, I think the calendar like raised, I think the numbers just came out, but yes. it raised to something like 150,000. Oh, I think I can't, don't know if it was euros or dollars, but I was like, that's really impressive. And I don't think I had realized that it was going to charity. So that's really cool. Yeah. The, awesome. yeah, it was amazing. And I kind of wish we would have got one. Um, okay. Last one here. The best celebrity GP attendee before we say ours, Tony, did you have one? Um, that's such a good question. There were so many celebs. It's hard to remember. Um, 
Okay, I had two. One only because I nearly fell over her, Rihanna, and I was like, ah, so, you know, oh, yes. when you're like, you and you're just like, don't That's touch her, in. don't touch her, don't touch her, because I literally t- like turned around, nearly stumbled, and I was like, you know, when you're just like, oh my god, and I was, I felt Wait, like you was about were that to- close. Oh, I thought I was going to fall on the sculpture of the Mona Lisa. Like, I even know Mona Lisa is not a sculpture, <laughs> but a painting. But I, I had that moment of, don't touch the prized possession. And I must have looked absolutely asinine. Um, it's so funny. But that was interesting because she just weirdly just looked like the woman belonged. And at the same time, I was like, this is not your environment. Who cares? You just, like, you've made that Ferrari garage look exponentially better. People loved that one. Yeah, people I, wrote that one in. Um, I think that has to be, and it's probably because it's the one I can remember. Because quite frankly, I'm clueless with this stuff. Oh no, what is she called? Um, mm. <laughs> <sighs> Megan the Stallion was last year, and I absolutely loved her with her Cash App um, logo oh, yes. on the grid. But it wasn't that. I can't remember who. Um, I can't remember who was the other woman that I was thinking of. Um, actress, phenomenal, short blonde bob. We had a whole con- Chloe, Chloe Grace yes. Morel. Oh, we sat you. next to her in the garage in Mac- in, in McLaren Hospitality. She's so yeah, because cool. she did and she did the um, Hot Lab F1 Academy. Academy presentation. Yeah, that was yeah. great. That moment yeah. was just spectacular. Um, if only I could remember her name. So thank you for that, Sarah. But yeah, that and I think that was the combo of her and Susie and the whole thing. I was like phenomenal. Um, it was yeah. fabulous. I don't uh, need clothes. I don't need bobs. Exactly. <laughs> exactly just phenomenal people Um, also wrote in not taylor swift so as the best (laughs) celebrity gp attendee and then they also wrote tom holland which is a good one oh which one did he go to it must be silverstone no yeah probably he he waved the flag at one of them um and i forget which i forget which one yeah okay well, no one waved the flag as poorly as Tim Cook. So we yes. agree on that. <laughs> <laughs> the bar was pretty low with that one. Um, but yes. So who were yours? I think Rihanna was a good one. Rihanna. I love when, when other athletes when I think someone did a photo of like Shaq next to Yuki, which I thought was sick. It was hilarious. <laughs> oh boy. That was a good one. Um, the, and then hopefully next year we'll have Taylor Swift for Tiggy and Sarah who love her. You know? Yes. Maybe she'll show up. Yes. Travis Kelsey, new well, Alpine um, okay. investor. <laughs> there you go. Yeah. Um, okay, so Tony, to wrap up, we had a listener write in and just say, okay, what are we going to do in the off season, the dark season without F1? Do you have one recommendation if someone had to consume some content Ooh. over the break besides the Red Bulletin podcast? Uh, well, obviously your podcast. Are you going to keep this going? <laughs> I'm going to shout out your podcast. It sounds like this is the place to be. Um Lily Herman's newsletter, um, if you are bored and want like good, and I don't mean bored in the bad way, like if you want content, that woman has the lengthiest newsletters in the world and they are just like beautifully written and beautifully put together and she comes at things from such a unique angle. So I'm, I'm as you can tell, I'm a massive fan of her stuff, but if you like writing, reading and and enjoy people's writing, I definitely, definitely say there, uh, definitely say her um, engine failure newsletter. Um, I always go back to weirdly um, during the off seasons, I go back to the film Grand Prix from 1966 and I think it's shot in Monaco and it's, Right? It's such a good, it's not modern, but it gives you, I think, a taste of 
the beauty of Monaco, you always watch that and go, God, I want to go to Monaco. And that never happens. Um, yeah, well, not, not, for me. <laughs> not, me, not for me anyway. Um, but it's such, it's just such a reminder of how far the cars have come and it's kooky and it's funny. Um, I, I just, and it's also a nice like Christmassy movie. So I'd, I'd watch that as well. Um, I think those are my two, my two go-to. I'm just Very grateful. Good. They're good. And yeah, thank you. We had some people write in some other ones and we have a list. Yeah, and we'll link we those. Have? We'll link those in the show notes as well. But just like generally some movies. People say also Adrian Newey's book, How to Build a Car, is like a good Bible to follow. I mean, that's a Bible, by the way. If like, you want to get is... really into it. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. So we'll link we'll link the rest in the show notes. Um, Tony, thank you so much for joining us today. This was so fun and hearing your thoughts has just been so fascinating. And I think everyone's gonna really enjoy this. No, thank you for having me. 